When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Odd combination. Yeah, well, so are my parents. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackey and Judd. If you wanted better charts that you could see the fine print on. The pie chart of praise. You should be singing his praises. Butler takes it away from a couple of rockets. A timeout on the floor. Nene landed on his leg, but seemed all right there. You wonder if it was there on the non-contact on the plant. Their doctors looked at him, but we need to do an MRI tomorrow when we get back. You know, you sense how bad it is? No, no. Fear the worst in a case like this? No, you know, you always, you know, you're just hopeful that it'll, it's not bad. How were his spirits? He's fine. You know. All right, you heard the intro. Pie chart of praise, but not for the, the way the Wolves have set themselves up for playoff position here. This is a pie chart of praise, a Dave Harrigan mastermind. If they make it to the playoffs, what will the pie chart of praise be from the point of the Jimmy Butler injury to the point of clinching a playoff spot? Mm -hmm. We're talking hypothetical pie here. Yes. A pie chart path, (laughs) if you will. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. Any time of the day is a good time for pie. So why don't you start us off? Okay. Because you usually cut your pie into like nine different it's pieces. Only, it's only cut into four here. 2.4% to... It's, no, no, it's only cut into four here. <laughs> I'm going to make this very, very simple. That needs a Brett Favre micro-touch blade to cut all the different pieces into the... No? I think, yeah. I, think I don't. If the wolves... Or do you think I shave the most with my micro-touch blade? <sighs> oh, can we just stop? <laughs> it's Monday. I'm too quick for this. Hey, Jan, what do you think of the copper fit? <laughs> Oh, man. Four pieces of pie for me. Only four. It's a very, very small Zolgadian pie. If the Wolves are to make the playoffs going from, so so they have 19 games left, uh, 12 against teams with winning records, including eight in a row after tonight when they play Sacramento. 50% of this pie, if they are to make the playoffs, will belong to Andrew Wiggins. 50%. A huge Portion. I cite it though. I cite it with some hope from an earlier four game period in January when Butler was out because of a right knee problem then, although they didn't disclose what was wrong at the time. During that four game period, the Wolves went two and two. Wiggins averaged 25.8 points on 21 field goal attempts per game during that time. Hmm. He went into Saturday averaging 17.6 points on 15.7 shots per game. So. He clearly feels a lot more emboldened, empowered, and willing to uh, take more shots, probably take more chances, and do more when Butler is out. So if he can do that and the Wolves make the playoffs, he'll get 50% of the pie. 
20% of the pie, if they make the playoffs, will go to Jeff Teague, who was outstanding on Saturday. Now, the Bulls don't give a damn. The Bulls, for the most part, don't care. Uh, but Jeff Teague's role will definitely change somewhat now going forward if they're to make the playoffs, and that will include shooting more, certainly. 20% will go to Jeff Teague. I I, I think the Bulls, like Zach Levine cares. Right, I think but they're I'm just saying, not, they're but, just not good enough to make the playoffs. But they're not playing their veterans for the most part. They basically, Hoiberg's been mandated by by the executives there to try and lose as much as possible. Sure. So, feel, yeah. so Dunn cares, Levine cares, Markkinen cares, but they're not playing v- veteran players yeah, on purpose. Yeah, yeah. 20% of the pie, so I'm at 70, 20% of the pie will go to Carl Anthony Towns. He can't do much more, but he can do more. So if they're going to make the playoffs, he's going to play a significant role. He already does. But I give him 20. And then my fourth and final piece of pie goes to Belly, who I say 10%, because he, I think, is going to be the primary starter with Butler out. So I go Wiggins 50%, Teague 20%, Towns 20%, and Belly, just because his role is is certainly going to change 10%. You and I have pretty similar pie charts here with a couple couple of differentiators, all right? Mm -hmm. So... I'm going to work my way up from the lowest percentages. I also have four slices of pie. The pie chart of praise between now and if the Wolves are to clinch a playoff spot. A hypothetical pie chart. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. 5% because you got to account for the teams at the bottom of the Western Conference. You're going to need some help. You can't have the like the Jazz got super hot before the, the All-Star break. You, you, need, you got to pour some cold water on those teams. Make, make sure that 46 47 wins gets you in. You got 36 wins right now, I believe. So if you can you find 10 more wins the rest of the way and then pour some cold water on the other teams, which means 5% goes to Ricky Rubio and the 10 seed Utah Jazz. That's right. Ricky Rubio reverting back to his old injured self and a guy who shoots two for nine every night. And oh, funny. He shot two for nine a couple nights ago in a uh, in a in a win Any over Dallas. Any chance for a rookie shot you take now? Uh, he's he's been inactive for three games over the past uh, couple weeks. He's back to seven points and four points. Although he did have that stretch of two weeks where it was thirty four points and twenty and twenty nine. He just went out of his mind, and he does that. He'll go out of his mind for like two or three weeks yeah. and make you think he's turning the corner. The Wolves can't have that happen. They need the Jazz to fade out softly. In the Western Conference playoff picture. So 5% Ricky Rubio. All right. 10% to Nemanja Bialica. So you and I are both in agreement on this one. Uh, Bialica played 33 minutes in that game against the Bulls. And did pretty well. Stat line was pretty good. Yeah, he was, it was fine. I mean, it was, uh, he, here's what I like about him. And, and it's going to tie into another player later in the pie chart, but he wasn't great from the field. In fact, he was only one of six from downtown, but he grabbed seven rebounds, yes. dished out four assists, only turned the ball over one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was active. He was out there and participating, even though the shot wasn't falling. So if B Elites is going to play 30-plus minutes, it's going to have to be an active 30-plus minutes. Now, if his shot is falling and he's getting at 20 points based off three-pointers and a bunch of rebounds, that's even better. He's not going to be anywhere near the defender that Jimmy Butler was. He's not in the same stratosphere defensively, but... He can add some offense. Uh, I'm also going to put 10% on Carl Anthony Towns. It's hard to ask him to do a lot more than he's already doing because he's already a double-double machine every single night. Uh, I think the one thing I would ask of him is to just shoot more. So Jimmy Butler takes, what, 15 shots a night, so you're going to have to distribute those elsewhere. I don't want 12 of them going to Andrew Wiggins. I think Jimmy Butler should hand off like eight shots per game to Towns. Towns should go from 14 shots a game to 20 sure. in the next month. Yeah. 
And so you'll just see his numbers go up organically if he if he shoots more often. Mm-hmm. And this is where you and I are in lockstep, although I'm putting even more of a percentage on him. Andrew Wiggins. And it's fair. He just signed a max contract. Uh, it's it, He's no longer 19 years old, 20 years old. It's time to take this baton and run with it, not just as a scorer. And this, again, against the Bulls, it was a good team win. They, yeah, he they, was not great all, all around on Saturday yeah, night. They won the yes. game by 20 points. Yes. And, and and I know that rebounds and assists aren't always what defines. It could be that rebounds fall into your lap. So it's not always the the perfect measurement. But in terms of being active, and if you're going to be out there for 30 to 40 minutes a night, I need more than four combined rebounds and assists, mm-hmm. especially with Jimmy Butler not on the court. That's good enough. You're going to win the game against Chicago, especially at home. You don't need a whole lot. You don't need a Herculean effort to beat that Bulls team at home. No, you don't. But again, like this is where guys stepped up. Taj Gibson's out there for 36 minutes. He gets you 13 combined rebounds and assists. Bealitz is out there for 33 minutes. He gets you a combined 11 rebounds and assists. Towns, 15 rebounds and assists combined, which is actually like pretty standard for him on a nightly basis. Jeff T gets you 14 rebounds and assists combined. Even guys off the bench, Gorgie Jang grabs nine rebounds. Tyus Jones dishing out assists. Crawford found three assists. Jamal bleeping Crawford found three assists. Crawford's fourth quarter was off the charts, too. It was so, great. So if you can get something from Wiggins, if you're going to make the playoffs, instead of you know just jacking up 18 shots and saying, oh, all right, all right my night's done. You guys go do the rest. It's going to have to be a, a, a fuller box score for him to stave off some of these now, teams. Now, if he can achieve success in these next 19 games and uh, potentially into the playoffs, though, it does not solve your real problem, which is how do you find a way... Uh, starting in the 2018-19 season, to incorporate Butler and Andrew together, both because well, I think, because I think that's up to Andrew. It is, but my point is, my point is, I think he's going to feel emboldened now. I'm not going to be surprised if he goes on a stretch of of really good games because he's going to say, "Okay, Butler's gone, my role increases, and I can take that on." Now, that's fine, and that's and that's what they need for right now. But it also does not solve your ultimate problem, which is at some point in time, he's going to have to f- to figure out how he fits in as an effective player with Butler on the court, which is one of the things I don't think we saw or have seen nearly consistently enough this season. But think about, like, I agree with you, but think about what you just said. Here's one of the most gifted Butler I'm talking about. Energetic, grinding, and in a lot of ways, until he goes hero mode in the fourth quarter, selfless. He's looking to pass, and he's looking to play team defense, right? He's looking to lead and and help guys. It shouldn't be that hard. If you're open, Jimmy Butler's going to find you until the clock hits the 10-minute mark of the fourth quarter, and then he just goes into hero ball mode. Yeah, He's looking looking to play team basketball for the first 40 minutes of of a game, and I would say that his biggest flaw— is the fact that he just kind of goes into jack-up shots mode at the end, and I think he deserves some criticism for that. So it shouldn't be that hard to find a way to get points off the way Jimmy Butler plays. It just shouldn't be. And Or forget about points, okay? Like Because Wiggins scores, Wiggins takes enough shots, and the offense is what it is. He's inefficient, but he, it's not a shooting problem for him. He gets His rookie year, he wasn't shooting. Like He's leading the team, I think, in shot attempts. Can you find other ways to use your talent to get Bielitsa five extra points. Can you can you get three extra open looks for Nemanja Bielitsa by putting a defense through spin cycle mode, get in the paint, boom, kick it out but, over here. Like be more of but, a collaborator. But this goes back to, to what we've talked about since Wiggins got here, and it's this. He's mentally fragile. 
He looks at Butler. He doesn't look at Butler and say, Alpha, and I, I want to be an Alpha too. He looks at Butler and says, Alpha, I wonder what I should do now. Towns looks at Butler and says, hell yeah, let's go. This is great. Wiggins looks at a personality like that and sh- and shrinks. And that's my that's my question is, is he going to gain the confidence eventually to say, I need to be part of this. I can be an, an important part. And the more I learn from this guy, the better. Yeah. But this goes back to the conversation that we've had since Andrew got here. And that is, is he... Does he have an alpha gene at all? And so yeah. far, he doesn't show it. Yeah, and I so I personally don't think that there's any question. I think when Jimmy Butler's healthy, this team has two superstars, Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns, and then other guys who are trying to find their way or find a role. Um, you know, Wiggins is going to get paid like a superstar. But put it this way, if you disagree with that take, if you think Andrew Wiggins is a superstar and I'm just too hard on him and people need to back off of him and, look, he scores points and points are the only thing that matters, well... If he is a true superstar and he is as valuable as some people think that he is, and again, I disagree with that, then there should be no question about whether they're going to make the playoffs because they still have two great players, right? Like they should still you be would, able. You would say that or think that, but we they don't. should be able to stave off the Blake Griffinless Clippers yeah. team. If if you think that Andrew Wiggins is as good as as he, I think they have one guy left and a bunch of complimentary pieces, and it's going to be hard. And we're going to see Wiggins, what happens. I think I think he emerges now, but that doesn't solve your ultimate problem of once Butler comes back, can he can he find a way to fit in more effectively? Because that's the one thing that he has not come close to doing this season. Yeah. So uh, let's switch gears here and talk about the Twins. Logan Morrison, thirty-eight home runs with the Rays last year, and uh, he's going to be playing for the Twins here starting. I think he's going to play in spring training games here ASAP. Right? They haven't announced the contract yet, but I would assume that. They haven't sent out a press release, they but have I, not. I think that's going to be done pretty It'll soon be this here. week at some point. Yeah. So uh, Derek Wetmore is down in Fort Myers covering Twin Spring Training, fifteen hundred ESPN.com, and the Touch 'Em All podcast. We'll talk to him when we come back. We'll talk uh, U.S. Curling gold medal in about a half hour with John Benton and Tom Chorsky. Wild trade deadline approaching here. We'll see if the Wild make a move in the next few hours. Mackie and Judd. The Mackie and Judd show rolls on. All right, bring it in. We all ready? On 1500 ESPN. Uh, it's looking good. Um, I mean, last year they, they surprised a bunch of people. In this offseason, they did they did nothing but but add pieces. Nobody, nobody's gone. The only thing is that we added pieces. This team got better, and it's going to be an exciting season. Oh, Bartolo's gone, but other than that. Yeah, Bartolo's a huge loss. Derek, Derek Wetmore from Fort Myers joins us now covering spring training. Uh, check out his work. 1500 ESPN, a busy boy on Sunday. Uh, Derek, your thoughts about the Morrison signing and your surprise when you saw the deal come down. I know that Doogie had mentioned it on the Scoops edition late last week on this show, but uh, a rather nice move for the Twins, and I think most importantly, too, a rather inexpensive move for the Twins. Yeah, opportunistic would be the word that I'd use. I I think that's something Derek Falvey's talked about a lot since he took over the Twins, that I don't think Logan Morrison is a perfect addition. It doesn't fit their roster perfectly. In fact, I just published a column, a five thoughts column about the number of people that this will impact, the moving parts that'll have to take place now to make Morrison fit. But with that being said, the twins just added a great hitter at a relatively low cost and could have him next year for another really low cost. It's, it's a low risk move that if you're buying into his breakout season in 2017 could have the potential to really pay off uh, not only this year, but also next year for the Twins. So I, I don't know if it's a perfect fit, but it's 
I the Twins don't have a perfect option at DH either because Robbie Grossman, yeah. as as good as he is at getting on base, and Derek Wetmore and I are the two co-chairs of the Robbie Grossman fan club. The guy takes great <laughs> yeah. at bats. He's uh, just kind of a sneaky under the radar offensive performer. Logan Morrison, if you believe that last year wasn't a fluke, and I don't think it was, I think he changed some things uh, in his swing mechanics and in his approach that are going to lead to success for the next few years. He's better. I mean, Logan Morrison's just a better offensive option than than Robbie Grossman. Um, but it doesn't mean that that you can't use a combination of Grossman. Maurer takes you know some time off to keep rested, and Morrison plays some first base. I think it almost, and, and Grossman, if you keep him on the roster, can play outfield not particularly well, but you can put him in the outfield if you want to exploit a pitching matchup of some kind. I think it just gives the Twins a lot more authority in their lineup and options at first base, DH, and corner outfield, Derek. Yeah, agreed, and and I do like Grossman, but you don't keep a better hitter on the bench just in favor of Robbie Grossman. I, I think that it'd be fair to say that there aren't a lot of teams that are buying into what Logan Morrison did last year, because look, he hit 38 home runs, was one of the better hitters in the league against righties, and he's still unemployed on February 22nd looking for work and has to take a, a one-year deal with a vesting option. That doesn't sound like a player who is in high demand this winter. And I, look, I don't think that necessarily says that he's not going to repeat it or or that the Twins don't think that they can tap into some of that potential. But I think if every team in baseball thought they were going to get a 40-home run hitter who can play first base and DH, there would have been a bigger market for that, even with 10 teams around the league tanking this winter. Uh, so I think that the Twins probably didn't start their offseason saying, all right, we need to fix the pitching and we need to add a corner bat because we don't have enough of those. Uh, but I do think that once the price came to a point where it was like this and, okay, hey, spring training's underway, you're looking for a job, we've got to fit, uh, fit, quote-unquote, because, I, like I said, it's not perfect. But I think with a hitter the caliber of Logan Morrison, if you can get him at that price tag, I think you sign him and then you figure out where the pieces fall after that. I think it's a it's an opportunistic signing for the Twins tonight. Uh I think it could be one of the good low-risk gambles of the entire offseason, not just for the Twins, but really around Major League Baseball. Speaking of uh, potentially good buys, Derek, when does the starting pitcher come? Because that's if you if you now go get Lynn or Cobb, uh, you, your moves have been, as far as I'm concerned, absolutely fantastic. If you add Lynn or Cobb uh, to to this lot of players, this has been a very very good uh, offseason of moves for you. If you're the Twins totally agree if you add one of those guys um i'm not sure how high the twins are on an alex cobb uh or a lance lynn for that matter they're, they're probably not getting the same grade as a u darvish but i think that turns this into an a plus offseason you just you addressed all of your needs you made yourself better offensively you made yourself better on the mound starting relief and then you start to get into that conversation with the indians right now i think the logan morrison signing combined with the Jake Odorizzi trade, puts the Twins solidly in the wild card mix. But I still don't think they're a lock for the postseason. They're a good team right now that, I don't know, I'd probably have them around 88, 89, 90 wins or something like that. So to answer your question on when does the starter come, would you be surprised if it was in July? I, I wouldn't personally be too shocked um, unless the Twins get a price that they love on one of those three starters, Jake Arrieta, Lance Lynn. It's Alex bargain Scott. time, Derek, though. This might, it's garage sale time. So, Everything must go. Well, two part. <laughs> yeah, Sunday, Sunday. Wait, that's different. That's the monster truck discount. But like that might be discounted too. I think to what Derek's saying, 
it wouldn't shock me if they say, you know what, that's that's enough for now. And even with the discounts, we're not get, we just don't feel comfortable enough with these guys coming off Tommy John. Um, uh, I I think I would be shocked if they didn't add a quality starting pitcher before the July thirty first trade deadline. But they could still. If they wanted to sign Lance Lynn to a two, they offered him a two-year deal, according to Doogie, low, kind of a low-ball deal. Could you get him on a three-year deal, and maybe it's a mutual option or something for that last year? That wouldn't preclude you from also trading for Chris Archer. So, like, I just like the fact that the Flyers, the Twins are taking Derek, the Anibal Sanchez, and the Eric Ibars. No longer are those the guys that the Twins are leaning on to make or break their season. Those are just the Flyers. In addition to. Quality guys like Odorizzi and Logan Morrison, and then if they were to add another pitcher in free agency. Right. Yeah, if you made me take a guess, if you said which is more likely, Anibal Sanchez starts 30 games for the Twins or Anibal Sanchez starts zero games for the Twins, I would lean towards zero. And I think they're doing that sort of across the board. Like, they bring in Ibar just in case he needs to make the club as sort of a utility infielder. Um, I think it's sort of Miguel Sano insurance or, you know, injuries through camp or anything like that. Whereas you're not saying, hey, Eric Ibar, you want to come to spring training and be the starting shortstop? That's uh, that's not the position the Twins have put themselves in. So they're very well protected in that way. And I also see the same thing happening on the pitching side. I know I know that we want them to add another starting pitcher because there are guys out there, maybe it's bargain time, and it's a good time to go shopping. Um, but I also think the Twins are looking at this and they have to figure out what are they going to get from Anibal Sanchez. Um, is it going to be any starts? Is he going to make the team? Uh, when does Irvin Santana come back? What is Trevor May going to be when he eventually returns, which I think will be in early June? And, and I think that's a candidate that's being overlooked um, by a lot of people right now. He's coming off a of Tommy John surgery, so I get it. He's been out of the picture for a year. But his one season in the bullpen, he was a lights-out reliever when he was healthy. And uh, there's some advanced metric stuff that really like Trevor May and paint the picture of, of him being a much better pitcher than he's been so far in his Twins career. So, yes, they can add another pitcher, but I think if you're really going to shoot for that top flight, that sort of you Darvish, Chris Archer territory, I think it's going to be easier to add that kind of guy at the trade deadline because personally, I don't think Jake Arrieta is that guy. So um, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world to be patient about it. I also think if you just go get one of those guys right now, you're adding guaranteed wins to your team, and you're making your pitching staff much more formidable than it was two weeks ago. Does May start, Derek, when he comes back? Yes. I've, I I understand that the Twins are very high on him as a starter, and that bullpen would sort of be a last-ditch you know, last uh, fallback effort. Uh, if they can keep him healthy and making starts, they want him stretched out as a starter. Hmm. Hey, what? To, back to Logan Morrison for a second here. Uh, Derek Wetmore down in Fort Myers. I know you've been perusing through the clubhouse here. What, um, like, what, what's some of the, what's the vibe among players in the clubhouse? What are, what are people saying, and how do they feel about the Twins' chances to contend, or what that move means to, to just kind of bolster the mood? Well, they're talking about themselves as a playoff team, and rightfully so. I mean, they they went last year. I I think uh, that team maybe played a little bit over its head. So as I kind of be in the wet blanket saying, well, maybe they're on the outside looking in with how good the rest of the American League is. That's certainly not the way they feel about it inside the clubhouse. And then how can you help but feeling encouraged that your bosses, who stripped away from your team last year and said, nah, you're not good enough, we're taking this uh, Jaime Garcia and Brandon Kinsler from you. Uh, and, And those same bosses have now turned around and said, 
okay, how about a mid-rotation starter, Jake Odorizzi? Uh, how about adding a corner bat that's going to go in the middle of the lineup, Logan Morrison? Uh, so, And then not to mention the upgrades they made in the bullpen as well. So I think that the feeling in the clubhouse is understandably buoyed by the fact that those same guys who took away from you last year are now adding up. They're really loading up the roster and, and giving you a chance to go compete. They're talking about themselves in the same breath with the Indians I still have uh, ways to go to believe that, but they are, uh, I think, strongly in the postseason consideration right now, and the, the feeling in the clubhouse is understandably confident. Right on. Uh, we spent, by the way, about 40 or 45 minutes on an episode of Touch Em All yesterday, just breaking into the Logan Morrison sustainability and some of the just uh, some number crunching and some some more reckless speculation, too, on Lance Lynn. So if you haven't yet checked out the Touch Em All Twins podcast, Now's a pretty good time with Twins excitement and the regular season just around the corner. Derek, we'll talk to you tomorrow from Fort Myers. See you, Wetmore. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, Derek Wetmore down in Florida. We, sometime here before the show is over, maybe we do this at noon, there's some interesting Viking stuff percolating across the uh, the football sphere. It's combine week. Yeah, but there's like Case Keenum stuff yeah, now and also Kirk yes. Cousins stuff. So we'll get to that. Let's let's just block out some time at noon to dive into some reckless Viking speculation. On Logan Morrison, when we come back here, let's take a stab at what the Twins lineup could or should look like. And what does it mean for the rest of the roster? Who might be out now that Logan Morrison is in? So more Twins discussion here on Mackie and Judd. Luther Brookdale Toyota is a proud sponsor and a very helpful one of the Touch Em All Twins podcast and the Mackie and Judd show. Uh, we really appreciate them being on board now going on, I want to say, seven years at 1500 ESPN. It's uh, it's all about those long-term relationships. They've built that with us on this show and with 1500 ESPN, just like my family and uh, my extended family as well has built the same relationship and vice versa with Luther Brookdale Toyota. First name basis, you'll find out pretty quickly that you'll be on a first name basis with everyone in that service department and in the showroom area too. Uh, I mean, it's the best combination of durable, popular vehicles, Toyotas, and also great people who know the industry, who know cars, who know communication and, uh, and everything. Go in, ask for a test drive, one of the 2018 models that's on the lot here. The RAV4, the Camry, the Corolla, the Tundra, and find out for yourself. 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Phil Mackey, Judd Zogad. My three words for this baffling, embarrassing, and infuriating. Yeah. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, we're, we're going to dive way more into this in the noon hour, but just to keep people posted here, Ian Rappaport, NFL Network, reports. The Vikings are not expected to franchise tag Case Keenum. He's slated to hit free agency per sources with knowledge of the team's thinking. And barring a change of heart, Minnesota joins the fray for a starting quarterback and will make these next few weeks fascinating. So unless their plan is to bring Case Keenum back on something less than a franchise tag deal or a multi-year deal, I think they would have hammered that out by now. This is them saying goodbye to Case Keenum. Yes. And I think it's hello to Kirk Cousins. This is the least surprising move. I expected this because now now I did say that it would have uh, made sense for them to uh, potentially franchise him for, for one year. But I just keep going back to, and I know people are like, yeah, shut up about this. But I keep going back to what Mike Zimmer's attitude towards Keenum was all year long. That didn't change. 
And Mike Zimmer, I think his his fears about Keenum in his mind were certainly realized in the second half against the Saints, and then in the uh, in the loss in the conference title game. So this one to me is the least surprising. This takes me in two directions. One is what you just said, which is they're going to make a strong bid for Kirk Cousins. The other is don't bury the aspect of Bridgewater, and then you go sign um, the guy from the Jets. I, I always get uh, McCown. Yeah, McCown. Yeah, <laughs> I want to say Hoyer. Uh, Testaverde. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Name it. Joe He's going to be name. It's going to be fantastic <laughs> playing quarterback for the Vikings. Uh, but that to me, those those are, are the two. They're they're either going to try and make a spectacular splash with Cousins, or they or they have enough knowledge and faith in Teddy, and then get McCown to play behind him. Yeah. So it's one of those two, I think. Interesting. So uh, we'll, we'll call, we're going to carve out some time in the noon hour to to dive deeper into this because there's been a couple other things speculated by people plugged in around the league just through our Twitter timelines. This is what happens combine season and free agency shortly after. You get to the truth of what teams are thinking. And if the Vikings aren't willing to franchise tag Case Keenum, it either means they're working on something bigger like long-term. I highly doubt that. It just doesn't make sense for them to lock in. With Keenum, franchising him would have been the thing to do. I don't think they are. So Ian Rappaport saying the Vikings will not franchise tag Case Keenum. There's a high shot deep to right. That ball's got great carry and is gone. Grand slam for Logan Morrison. The Rays will take a 6 to nothing lead. All right, so he hit 38 bombs last year. It looks like he has revamped his swing. Logan Morrison, 30-year-old breakout season. Twins can plug him into the middle of their order and see if he can uh, carry over what he did last year. Before we do our projected Twins lineups, I think the Twins, the 25-man roster, it's going to be 12 pitchers, usually in 13 hitters. I think there's 11 solidified spots with the position players and two open. So you tell me if I'm off on this. Mm-hmm. I think the solidified spots are Logan Morrison, Joe Maurer, Brian Dozier, Jorge Polanco, Miguel Sano, and suspension pending. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Castro, Mitch Garver, Byron Buxton, Eddie Rosario, Max Kepler, Eduardo Escobar. That's 11. Leaving two open spots for this collection of five guys. Robbie Grossman, Ira Adrianza, Zach Granite, who has minor league options left. Eric Ibar, who used to be a really good middle infielder shortstop with the Angels. Who He's might 34 be now. personal sort of protector. Yeah, that's they, an interesting one. They go way back. So And Kenny Vargas. So I think you're picking two of those five. Vargas, he gone. To me, Vargas is gone. Yeah, Logan Morris. He'll, he'll be gone soon. I yeah. think. So that leaves two spots for these four guys. Uh, and Granite's got minor league options, so I think he starts the year in the minor leagues. Sure. So then, and so, so Robbie Grossman's on the team for me. Uh, he's just he again. He gets on base all the time, and he takes great at bats. You can put him in the outfield if you want to. He's just a good piece to have around. Switch hitter. So then, do you keep? The younger and better defensively and probably more versatile at this stage in his career, Ira Adrianza. Yep. Or do you keep the 34-year-old veteran handler guy, Eric I, Ibar? I, or is Ibar just a spring training no, influence for Miguel Sano? I, I, th- I think it's Adrianza. From a baseball standpoint, I think that you should be right. But considering the potential investment in, in Sano, I think Ibar makes the team. I think it's a tough call. But they don't—I mean— if you think about this team right now, and given Sano's uh, struggles with his weight and p- potentially to stay out of trouble, if you think about this, there's no one on, on this roster beyond Ibar who really has his ear and influence. I think there's these guys are, once again, they're pretty savvy and, and pretty smart. I can see them saying, if we're going to, if we're ever going to get the most from 
Miguel, and it probably has to happen in 2018. We need somebody on the front line here who knows him, who he trusts, yeah. and who can go to him and say, you need to do this right now. I think Ibar makes the team. Boy, that's um I know, I know it's a it's a weird use of a roster spot, but I mean he can still play a little bit. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean he's not completely useless anymore. And he can like last year for San Diego, he played uh, actually he pitched one time too. He just played shortstop, but the year before that he played some third base shortstop second. So he can he can kind of move around too. So there is some positional flexibility. But the guy, like the guy gets on base at a three hundred clip. I know. He it would be purely done doesn't, as as Sano's handler. Man. I'm not talking about as a as a super productive player. Hey, the fact that we might have a debate over the 25th roster spot on a team that has a chance to make some noise this year is a good thing. So, but Kenny Vargas, it's good. People keep ta- this is one thing that bothers me about Kenny Vargas. The people keep well, but like, what about his power? His power. You can't let power like that go. Okay, I don't know if you lined up every player in baseball. He might have the widest gap between how much power he looks like he should have in a game mm-hmm. and how many home runs he actually hits. He doesn't hit that many home runs. In the minor leagues, he doesn't hit well, that many home runs. And you In and batting practice, he hits a lot of home runs. The second they, they allow him to go, you're going to hear the old uh, David Ortiz comparison. He's not, he's David not Ortiz. Ortiz. But here's the other thing. He looks here's, like David Ortiz physically, but, but he's not David what, Ortiz. What Twins fans and what followers of the team need to start to get is this is a different organization. This is entire—this is— uh, the default position in this town, whenever we get frustrated, default number one is always same old blank, same old pole ads, same old Vikings, same old. That's our default position. But if you can move off that for one second and, and start to th- think of this in a different manner, this organization, as far as the baseball operation goes, is completely different. So if you trust these guys, if you want to trust them, then you have to trust them that they are not jettisoning the next David Ortiz, that they've seen enough of Vargas, and they've certainly given him chances to make a rational, good decision on roster spots and his inclusion in that. Yeah. So Yeah, he, I'm with you. It's like it's kind of like Mike Zimmer, too. If you trust Mike Zimmer in his ability to gauge defense and, and gauge football talent, then why would you disagree with him if he has this opinion on a quarterback? Because you really here? like Case. Case was a good guy. Come on. And he's not going to be franchised, according to uh, Ian Rappaport. All right, Twins lineup. Let's take a stab at this thing. One through nine, and this might change lefty versus righty sure. and stuff, but but just like a general opening day, Twins maybe. lineup. Sure. Okay, uh, Dozier still leads off. Maurer second. I've got Buxton third. Sano pro- providing that he can play on opening day and is not suspended by then or on the DL. Sano batting cleanup. I bet Logan Morrison fifth to start with. Rosario 6th, Kepler 7th, Polanco 8th, and then whoever my starting catcher is, probably Jason Castro 9th. Yeah. So I go Dozier, Maurer, Buxton, Sano, Morrison, Rosario 6th, Kepler, Polanco, Castro. Yeah, so this would be, you're going to face right-handed pitching, starting right-handed pitching, about 75% of your games. So this is kind of against like a right-handed uh, pitcher on the mound. You and I have almost the exact same lineup. Dozier leading off. I put Buxton number two because I want I I want Dozier Buxton back to back. If those are your two, maybe your two best hitters or your two hitters with the most upside, and you've got some speed there in Buxton, I want him on base in front of Maurer and Sano batting fourth. So Maurer's third for me. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, like 
a lot of the smart organizations and the research that they do on lineup construction, for 100 years, you put your best hitter third. Now, lineups are better constructed if your best hitters are one and two. Like mm-hmm. a lot of teams, Chris Bryant batted second for the Cubs in some of their key spots uh, because he's their best hitter, and that's what the research shows. And then Ben Zobrist might have batted third like a couple years ago. Sure. So Maurer third, Sano fourth, Logan Morrison, I'm with you, batting fifth, Rosario sixth, Kepler seventh, and then I actually flip-flopped Castro and Polanco so that I could have Polanco getting on base in front of Dozier. Sure. It's yeah, kind of like hitting the pitcher yeah. eighth. Yeah, but sense. that's like if you put that together, it's not a bad lineup, though. And you get the Buxton of the second half last year and the Polanco of the second half last year. Mm-hmm. The only weak link is Castro. Mitch Garver might not even be a weak link. He's been a really good hitter throughout his entire minor league career. Maybe he becomes your starting catcher at some point. Which you're, yeah. And now, I mean, it's not the 1927 Yankees, but as far as easy spots in the lineup to take advantage 61 of, 61 Yankees, more like. Yeah. No, it's a good 98 lineup. 98 Yankees. It's a really good. It's, it's, I mean, if you can have now, do do you think that Dozier? How how long do do you think he's going to bat in the top spot for it in his career? Do you think he's going to bat there for a few more years? Do you think they're eventually going? I mean, he I does have the power optimal. to certainly move him down. I don't know if it's optimal, but he seems to be comfortable there. Like I think it makes more sense for Mauer to bat leadoff and then Dozier bat behind Mauer. Sure, but Dozier seems to just be more comfortable in the leadoff spot, and I don't know if there's enough sample size to say that for sure. But like you're kind of splitting hairs. It, this is if you put these nine guys in any order against a right-handed pitcher, you're gonna you're gonna score a lot of runs. So yeah, Logan Morrison. If you were to replace him with Kenny Vargas, like you'd just be much less sure about this lineup. And then Vargas is batting seventh or something. Yeah. But 38 home runs in the middle of the lineup is is pretty good. So we're gonna get to some Viking speculation at the top of the hour. Some interesting stuff coming down about Case Keenum and about Kirk Cousins. But I think everyone was pretty excited if you are an American, for God's sakes, and you like obscure sports that pop up in the public eye. Our curling team won gold for the first time ever. We had John Benton, who was on the 2010 Olympic team, and he's uh, part of the Four Seasons Curling Club. At he was in studio on Friday talking about uh, the, the Canada game and then foreshadowing. Let's have him on again next to sort of recap a great weekend for U.S. Olympics and U.S. curling, then to some Vikings, and then Tom Chorsky on NHL trade deadline stuff. The Wild also had a move take place here. Was it today that happened, right? The Chris Stewart thing? Yes. Chris Stewart claimed off waivers by, was it Florida? Calgary Flames. Calgary? Flames. Okay. Yep. So goodbye to him. All right, Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd now continue on 1500 ESPN. For five and maybe gold for the U.S. Can he get it? He can! Five on the board for Team USA! Yes, that I, I wish the... I wasn't a, I saw it in the morning. I saw the rerun in the morning. I got to admit, because it started, started like 1230, and I don't know. I I was, my either. goal was to stay up, but... All right, um, let's uh, let's dive into this. John Benton was in studio with us last week. He played on the 2010 team. He's super plugged into U.S. curling, and uh, you can find him. And if you're interested now, because I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of a boom here, the uh, Four Seasons Curling Club in Blaine. So it was super fun having you in studio last week. They pay it off by beating Sweden for the gold medal. Uh, your thoughts on curling reaching a new plateau here. First gold medal in U.S. history, John. Well, first of all, congrats to John and the team, and and thanks to you guys for for covering it. Um, I can tell you that since, uh, well, pretty much the entire tournament, but but really since Saturday morning, 
uh, things have been absolutely crazy for, for all of us in the curling world, uh, just watching, watching this happen and, and seeing how much interest there is. Uh, it's, it's going to be an amazing run here and, and we just, you know, it's, it's a, a great time in the history of the sport. It's just super fun to be a part of it. So, uh, you know, the, the game itself, uh, loves to talk about that. Were tears shed then? I, I mean, you know, I, I saw it referred to as a miracle. Uh, is this something where where this is a complete game changer long term? How how emotional did, did you become as, as this unfolded and they won gold? Well, I, I you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I did. I, I you know, I uh, I shed a few tears myself. Um, it's, you know, it's it's a little uh, conflicted for me just because. You know, I was there and had my opportunity, but I'm super, super happy for John and the team and for USA Crewing as, as a whole, and it's a huge game changer. It, it really, really is, um, you know, to be legitimized uh, and to have, you know, the national exposure and, and to have, you know, um, lots and lots of people who, uh, you know, ha- have the the power to, you know, kind of uh, do things for the sport, uh, take an interest. I mean, from Aaron Rodgers to Mr. T to, you know, uh, I, I saw something that, uh, um, you know, w- just seeing those guys being interviewed um, on the national stage after the win and, and really talking about our sport um, and, and presenting our sport in a way that, that nobody's really heard about yet, uh, it, it just, uh, it's, it, it's unbelievable, really. Yeah. All right. So we we would love your X's and O's breakdown of maybe the most just, I mean, obviously it was the biggest shot of the entire tournament and the biggest shot in U.S. history. On one throw, five points at the end of the eighth end uh, to basically clinch the gold medal for the U.S. So take us take us kind of, you know, uh, into the X's and O's and, and the whole setup there and, and how did the U.S.A., uh, how did how did Team Schuster wind up with so many points in such a key spot? Well, it was it you know it was the kind of game that I think uh, most of us in the game expected it to be. It was really really tight, um, and uh, you know for most of the game um, you were just kind of on pins and needles waiting for somebody to you know take take some more risk and and the Swedes really did that in the eighth end they were they were playing uh super aggressive and uh, allowing a lot of the U.S. stones to to stay in play uh when they didn't have the advantage of last shot and that's that's typically what happens in a really competitive game like that is is somebody has to blink and somebody has to start taking some risk uh and it just so happened that that we were in the position to have that last shot and the the big thing there obviously is you know John Schuster to be able to sit down in the hack get ready to throw and not let you know the the thoughts of standing on the podium and you know gold medal creep into his mind um, you know and to be able to execute the shot get the five points and then for the rest of the team to do the same thing for you know the remainder of the game to to not really start thinking about what's lying ahead of you and let, and let that slip away uh, that's a unique thing about curling is you know you can have a big lead and start thinking about you know what's happening after the game but but you really have to finish it out and they and they did that uh, to perfection. What, uh, uh, John, do, do you think changed too? I mean, go, going back from from the time where where things f- fell apart and didn't go well to getting gold, what what was the biggest change within the program itself, or what e- evolved to the point that we got to on Saturday? 
Well, I, you know, there's a number of things. Um, first of all, you know, we talked a little bit last week about about how, you know, we came back from 2010 and the USOC kind of looked at us and said, "What are you, what are you guys doing?" You know, we we really need to 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 see more out of our investment. And so we we did a number of things. Um, I mean, first of all, I you know I'll take a little plug for us as the, the training site. We have year-round ice here, um, which is huge uh, for for curlers to be able to get access to the ice because the typical season is you know September to April. Well, for for us to be able to to have them come and train and be on the ice here and get in the weight room and just spend more time together as a team is a big deal. Uh, the other thing that the programming has allowed uh, many of the teams to do and, and pushed teams that aren't even within the program is just to get out and play more, get out and play against top-level competition. So spending a lot of time in Canada, spending a lot of time in Europe where the best teams are. I think one thing moving forward that, that will be of note is does this push allow us to have more of those types of events types of events in the United States. Can we start to attract some of those top teams to come play here more often? Um, we host an event, the U.S. Open, in, in January that started to do that. There's a couple other events, one in Arizona, that's starting to attract those teams here. But I think for the future of the sport in the U.S. and in general, we need to have those high-level training-type world curling tour events here in the United States so that more teams have access to that type of competition. And there's no rest. It's time for a dynasty now. On to it, 2022, John it Benton. Is, it is. You, got, you have to start thinking about that already and, and who's it going to be. I mean, one of the big deals is to, to refill that pipeline. Is it going to be Schuster? Is it going to be another team? And, and if it's another team, ha- have they been battle-tested? Are, are they as ready as John's team was? Yeah. Well, it was great uh, catching up with you last week and uh, for them to pay it off on Saturday super fun and I'm sure people if you haven't seen it the the, the celebration and the just the whole culmination of, of the eighth end and the five-point shot is worth looking up on social media or on the internet John Benton from the Four Seasons Curling Center in Blaine uh, he was uh, in the 2010 Olympic Games in Vancouver he's also been an NBC TV analyst if people want to uh, kick the tires if they just want to see what curling's all about uh, what, what can they do at the Four Seasons Curling Center? Give people like a place to go, website, all that stuff. Yep, yep. You just jump jump on fourseasonscurlingclub.com. Right on our front page, it says, if you want to learn to curl, click here. That'll bring you to all the dates and times that we have set up in the remainder of the month here, as well as in March and in April, as to when you can find a Learn to Curl. It's 25 bucks a person. You come in, you get off-ice and on-ice instruction, and we can get you right into a week. Awesome. Thanks, John. Thank you, John. Thanks, guys. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. All right, that's uh, John Benton from uh, United States Curling. Yeah, and he he reached out to us originally a few weeks ago, and he heard Lou, uh, now that Lou Nanny story about Jared it's Allen. I see that making the rounds all over the internet. Yep. So it took a, took a people a few weeks to Next catch on Olympic to that. Games, Jared Allen. That would be so fun. I, I'm telling you, give that he'd dude be, a sweeper and a mullet. Be, he'd be great. He'd be fantastic. <laughs> yes. All right. Case Keenum will not be franchised by the Vikings, according to Ian Rappaport from NFL Network. How do you feel about that if you're a Vikings fan? This pretty much signals the end of Case, unless the market comes back around and there's some cheaper offer to be made there. I think this is very clear that that the Vikings have a different plan. I don't know what the plan is, but I think it's very clear that the powers that be would like to go away from Case Keenum. I agree, and I think there's a very specific name at the top of their list. 651-646-8255-877-877. 615-1500. Mackie and Judd in the TCL Broadcast Studios.